We have been waiting for this moment for 56 long years. Making its way in from right field on the world-famous Budweiser Clydesdales, the Commissioner's Trophy. When the Astros played their first home game of 2018, massive, stomping horses trotted out the World Series trophy they'd won the previous season. They were returning champions, playing before a sellout crowd. And now, ladies and gentlemen, tonight's starting lineup for your 2018 Houston Astros. This was a team that, in many ways, was even better than it had been a year before. Nearly four months later, in late July, that team was rolling. They were in first place in the American League West and had the second most wins in baseball. But Astros GM Jeff Luno knew that his club was missing something. Even though the Astros were loaded with pitchers who could start games, they didn't have one who could reliably finish them off. The closer they did have was Ken Giles, and he wasn't getting the results a good closer should. Nor did he exactly seem to have the temperament of one. Well, not only did the Yankees hit Ken Giles hard, check this out, Ken Giles hits Ken Giles hard. He just punched himself in the face. I knew that that he was not going to be our closer, and I knew we had a team that was capable of going to the World Series again, and I didn't want to blow the chance to win again because... We didn't have a bullpen that could do it. But there was good news for Jeff Luno. A closer was available on the trade market, and he was one of the best in the game. He was just 23 years old and threw a 96-mile-per-hour fastball. His name was Roberto Asuna. We had tried to trade for the player the year before. I had followed the player from the time he signed with the Blue Jays and followed his career. And at the time, you know, he'd still, it's true, he's racked up the most saves of any player of his age in the history of the game. So in terms of what he was doing on the field, it was clear that he was one of the best late game relievers in baseball. But there was a problem with Roberto Asuna. His team, the Blue Jays, was trying to get rid of him because of something he had done off the field. It was so bad that many other teams refused to even consider taking him on. But the Astros took a different position. We have breaking news to bring you from the Rogers Center tonight. This involves one of the Blue Jays star players. Closing pitcher Roberto Osuna has been traded to the Houston Astros. Osuna has been a popular player with the Jays, but he's also in controversy. Awaiting trial for domestic assault, he's also serving a 75-game suspension in accordance with MLB policy. Osuna had allegedly assaulted the mother of his young son and was awaiting trial in Ontario. But the Astros seemed to view him less as an accused criminal and more as a distressed asset, available at a discount. From a strictly analytical perspective, the trade was basically a no-brainer. In order to get Asuna, all the Astros would have to give up was a couple of decent prospects and Ken Giles, a player who had worn out his welcome in Houston. In return, Jeff Luno and the Astros would get the very thing they needed, a great closer. Asuna looked like the perfect puzzle piece maybe the final one Luno needed to assemble a second straight World Series champion. But the analytical models that showed Asuna would be a smart trade for the Astros didn't account for everything. Like what it would say about them, that they were willing to do it. Or how it would make people feel. How it would change the way baseball fans, even Astros fans, thought about them. The reaction to the Astros acquiring Roberto Asuna was swift. People sounding off on social media like Deanna writing, quote, 
I'm not okay with a domestic abuser. I feel pretty surprised by the deal. This is when I'd boo someone from my own team. I, and I can't believe there's no rule that you can't acquire a player who's under suspension for domestic violence. This is an issue about legality. It's about morality. It wasn't only fans and the media who began to see the Astros differently. Did you feel that this trade made the Astros kind of a target for other clubs, for the commissioner's office? I, you know, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to go so far as to say it made us a target but it certainly added to any sort of narrative that developed since that we were potentially willing to uh, you know, do more than other teams potentially to win. I'm Ben Ryder, and this is The Edge. This is Amy Poehler, here to tell you about a new improvised show from Paper Kite Podcasts, the team that brought you Say More with Dr. Sheila. Check out our new parody podcast, Women Talking About Murder. It's a show about women talking about murder. Every episode features special guests, twists, turns, and the mystery of a missing co-host. Available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. I remember how I felt when I heard the news that the Astros had acquired Roberto Asuna in late July of 2018. This was only three weeks after I'd published Astroball, my generally positive portrait of Jeff Luno and his organization, and I'd been out on the press circuit talking about how innovative they were. Did, did Jeff Luno talk at all about the pushback that he got from scouts? I don't think it's that way anymore. First of all, he's the boss. He runs everything. And second of all, you know, you can just look at the ring, right? I mean, this thing works, yep. and you'd be pretty silly to not go along with it now. That ring validates everything. It does, yeah. but... But the fact that they were willing to take Asuna on despite what he'd allegedly done made me wonder if I'd missed something. Like if there was a darker side to the Astros' relentless pursuit of the almighty edge than I had realized. I'd been scheduled to talk about my book on ESPN. I knew I was going to be asked about the Asuna trade, and I was not going to defend it because I thought it was indefensible. So when Bob Lay began our segment by asking me about the news of the day, I did my best to explain it. The Osuna case, which casts this model front office and model organization in a different light, what do you make of that? Well, pick your word, Bob. Problematic, questionable, morally troubling. One thing you can say about the Astros, though, is they have a tolerance for negative public relations that outstrips most organizations. This is a team that, on purpose, was the worst team in baseball for three straight years. Look, their whole process was designed to do one thing, to win. To them, winning is the cure-all. That's the bet they're making here with Roberto Asuna, that if he helps them win again, all of this will be forgotten. There was recent precedent to suggest Luno's bet would pay off. Before the 2016 season, the Yankees had traded for a different player who was under investigation for domestic abuse. His name was Aroldis Chapman. Just like Asuna, Chapman was a dominant closer. While Florida prosecutors would decline to bring charges against Chapman, he had to serve a 30-game suspension after the Yankees acquired him. Later that same season, the Cubs traded for him and Chapman ended up helping them win their first World Series title in 108 years. After that, few people brought up Chapman's history. But public discourse around domestic violence was very different in 2018 than it had been in 2016. It was the middle of the Me Too movement. 
the decision to trade for an alleged domestic abuser said a lot more about a team's values than it might have just two years earlier. Besides, the Astros had just won the World Series without a great closer. They just didn't need to do this. I asked Luno about the Asuna trade this summer. He told me that before agreeing to it, he'd called players he knew on the Blue Jays to get a sense of Asuna's character and had gathered opinions from Astros players. He had also insisted on speaking with Asuna directly. I spent a, a while with him on the phone. We spoke in Spanish, and I felt comfortable that he was intent on making sure that, that he could redeem himself and that this would never happen again. Luno made the same point about redemption back in 2018. On a conference call with reporters, he tried to reconcile the trade with the Astros' ostensible zero-tolerance policy concerning domestic violence. If anything happens going forward, we absolutely will uh, adhere to our zero-tolerance policy. Um, I believe that you can have a zero-tolerance policy and also have a, an opportunity to give people second chances when they have made mistakes in the past in other organizations. A zero-tolerance domestic violence policy that allowed for second chances? A lot of people thought this explanation sounded disingenuous, which contributed to the second major shift in how the Astros were seen under Jeff Luno. Suddenly, their morality as an organization was being scrutinized on ESPN. But the Astros did not seem to me, at least, to be the type of organization that would take on somebody like this. They're the defending world champions, and yes, they have a need, but is that need worth being, you know, filled by somebody who has this kind of baggage? This is significant baggage. The narrative around the Astros changed. Here's Julia Morales, the on-field reporter for the Astros' regional TV broadcasts. I remember us being in Seattle and, and that trade going down, and I heard some really horrible things from their fans directed at the Astros team. And this was a team that everyone loved at that time and had just won a World Series. And that was, that was really hard to sit by and, and watch play out early on. The reaction to the Asuna trade might have also been a swelling of the undercurrent of resentment within baseball for the way Luno operated. You'll remember the main themes from earlier in our series, the unconventional people he hired and the long-serving ones he fired, the apparent tanking in the early years, the brazen, unapologetic way he'd find every loophole and exploit every inefficiency. Luno could sense those simmering feelings. Quite frankly, I think we did things in a non-traditional way, and that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, a lot of people in the media. We did it first, and and people didn't like it because it was different and and there was change. I think that all uh, contributed to a group of people within the industry and their compatriots in the press that were waiting for us to fail so they could say, I told you so. Not everyone felt so aggrieved. Some were even admiring. One rival executive once told me, Jeff Luno's not paid to win popularity contests. He's paid to effing deliver, and he's doing that. But the executive also told me, I do hear from some baseball operations people who say, I want them to lose so effing bad because they're arrogant. After they won the World Series, whatever mild annoyance that had been bubbling turned into something more acute. And it didn't help that I wrote a book about Luno. Another GM told me that he would have never given me the level of access that Luno had. Do you sense there's a level of resentment about Astro Ball? 
Yeah, I mean, Billy being faced the same thing with Moneyball, people like, oh, like, look, he's just trying to show everybody how smart he is. It, you know, I, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there was. The view from inside the Astros was different. One Astros official put it to me this way. I think Jeff enjoyed the iconoclastic image a little bit. But I always had the impression of us being this team that annoyed people. But anytime they tried to make anything stick, there's nothing there. There was nothing really wrong. It was just a stylistic thing. But the trade for Roberto Asuna in 2018 was more than a stylistic issue, even for some Astros players, like ace pitcher Justin Verlander. Uh, Luno said that he, he talked to some players on the team about the trade. Did he reach out to you about it? Uh, he did not talk to me personally, no. I don't think it's typical. I mean, this is a baseball operations decision. This is his decision to make. I don't think it's... Uh, I think it's pretty typical, or pretty typical, that, that they wouldn't inquire um, with roster moves like this um, to ask all the players um, what their opinion is. I mean, this is this is his decision. The Asuna trade also troubled the people who worked directly for Luno and usually bought into his plan. Luno always asked his executives to grade prospective trade packages using a scale that runs from 20 to 80. One advisor, special assistant Kevin Goldstein gave a 20 to every package that involved Asuna. Goldstein's low grade had nothing to do with the pitcher's talent and everything to do with what he considered the moral cost of bringing him on board. But Luno decided to go ahead with the trade, and the Astros' owner, Jim Crane, agreed. I mean, I know people hated that decision, um, and I know that uh, there were there were people internally that were opposed to that decision, but that's a decision that, that Jim and I... Uh, made together, and, and, you know, we had to live with the consequences of that. Among the Astros executives who weighed in against the Asuna trade was the one with whom Luno arguably worked the closest by 2018, his top assistant. Yeah, Brandon Taubman joins us, Julia. Thank you for being here, Director of Baseball Operations for the Astros. How appreciate you, doing? you guys having me. Thanks. We're, well, we're well, doing a little... Appreciate the time. Seriously, I know you're busy. <laughs> <laughs> Never a break working for Jeff Luno. That's for, <laughs> believe that. for sure. Uh, Is it true that Brandon Taubman was against the trade? He was, um, and he wasn't, he wasn't the only one. You know, Brandon is, um, like many uh, assistants, and, and this goes in coaching staff as well, you express your opinion, and then, you know, once the decision is made, you, you know, you, you do what you can to support the decision, and that's how Brandon was. He was opposed to the trade. He, he um, hesitated and, and talked to me about his thoughts, but, um, yeah, that's, that's true. Luno had hired Taubman, a Cornell graduate, in 2013. At the time, Taubman was still in his 20s. He joined the Astros after working on Wall Street, where he had been an expert at valuing the complicated financial instruments known as derivatives, essentially parsing enormous and messy sets of data to make predictions about the future. Taubman began as an economist for the Astros. His job was to value the contracts the team offered to players, pretty similar to what he'd done in finance, but more exciting. And Taubman was great at it. He's a terrific analyst. He comes up with the right answer. He works his ass off. He uh, had increased responsibilities almost every year. Brandon is uh, one of the hardest working people I've ever come across, and he's incredibly intelligent. Luno believed that Taubman would one day be a general manager himself, and soon Taubman had his fingers in almost everything, not just valuing contracts, but negotiating them, helping plan for the draft, player development, making sure that all the technology the Astros had invested in like bat sensors, pitch tracking radar, and high-speed cameras 
were being effectively used throughout the Astros minor league system. In some ways, Taubman never left Wall Street. He was hyper-competitive. He'd yell at people. He'd write blistering emails. Anything for a better return. One of his coworkers described him to me as overly assertive and confrontational. He didn't have a lot of diplomatic instincts. He would ruin your day sometimes. He'd say, this is how we are on Wall Street, and nobody takes it personally. But many people with the Astros did take it personally. Several have characterized Taubman to me in the same way. The worst person I've ever worked with. But those same people say that Taubman didn't show that side of himself to his boss, Jeff Luno. I was aware that he rubbed people the wrong way, but I never saw anything that I would consider, uh, you know, something inappropriate in the workplace where potentially HR would have to get involved, etc. Um, he knows I wouldn't have tolerated him uh, doing anything aggressive towards anybody else, so I didn't see it, um, I didn't witness it, but, but he wouldn't have done anything like that in front of me. Taubman shared Luno's vision that baseball was now an elite business, a game being played by some of the most talented athletes on the field and some of the smartest thinkers off of it. Both of them were there to win it. But even Taubman felt uneasy at best about the Roberto Asuna trade. The day it went through, he called the women in his immediate family to warn them that they might see it on the news and that he'd done everything he felt he could to stop the deal and wasn't happy about it. A few days after that, with Luno out of town, it fell to Taubman to address the trade in a company town hall in front of several hundred Astros employees, many of whom were upset. His message was that he understood the trade was controversial and he wasn't going to tell them how to feel about it but that all they could do now was put their heads down and try to help the Astros win another World Series. Taubman followed his own advice. If there was one thing he prioritized, it was protecting what he'd helped Luno build. In 2018, some of the Astros started to feel and behave like they were under siege by the rest of the league for reasons that weren't connected to the trade for Roberto Asuna. Astros players and coaches started complaining to the front office that other teams were breaking the rules. Specifically, they thought other teams were stealing the Astros' signs by misusing the video technologies that had flooded baseball's clubhouses. Astros officials, including Luno's number 2 Brandon Taubman, started setting up vigilante missions to investigate these tips and they recorded videos of anything questionable they found. Some of the players' tips turned out to be more than a little far-fetched, like when they swore the trees beyond the outfield fence in one ballpark were waving in a fishy manner. But other findings were suspicious enough that they made their way up to Jeff Luno. There were three incidences during this, this season of 2018 that I became involved in. The first incident came in late May, in Cleveland, when someone with the Astros discovered the Indians' players could see something that they shouldn't have been able to see. It was a live feed where the monitor was pointed towards the dugout, so any player in the dugout could easily be watching that live feed and deciphering signs. Um, and there was no evidence that they were actually using that live feed. It was just suspicious that that monitor was there. shouldn't be there. The second incident occurred almost immediately after that, during the next series at Yankee Stadium. Taubman entered a restricted area just beyond the outfield wall to record a Yankees employee who was pointing a high-speed camera at home plate with a phone in his hand. 
Taubman shared the video with Luno, who spoke to the Yankees' general manager, Brian Cashman. I told him, what's going on? Why do you have a guy in the outfield filming our signs? And he said, no, Jeff, it, it may look like that, but it's not that. We received approval from MLB to test this high-speed camera, uh, and, and Cashman swore to me. He said, we're not stealing signs, I promise. So I, Brandon, the people in the video room, they wanted to pursue this, and I instructed them not to pursue it. Let's, let's drop it. Let's move on. You know, Cashman wouldn't lie to me. He's never lied to me before. There's no reason for that. Then there was the third incident, in June, at the Rangers' ballpark. Taubman found and recorded a man acting unusual in the outfield stands, a man whom the Astros players had noticed before. I've seen the video. You're hearing its audio track. It appeared from the video that the person was using binoculars to look for signs, and if he was able to decipher the signs, he would send a message using his cell phone to whoever was on the other side. Now, that didn't look like fan behavior in any way, shape, or form. Um, that looked highly suspicious. Brandon said he went up to him and asked him what he's doing, and he said the guy admitted he was not supposed to be doing that, and he wrapped up, picked up his stuff and left. The fact that he uh, admitted to Brandon that he shouldn't be doing that and left suggests something going on there. I, I can't explain it otherwise, but that's what it looked like to me. Luno says that he didn't initially report any of the incidents to the commissioner's office. But I asked each of the three teams involved to comment. An Indian spokesperson said that the screen that could potentially have been seen by players in Cleveland's dugout was actually located in a fan suite next to the dugout. And that while it was supposed to be on a 10-second delay, he couldn't say at this point why it appeared to be 100% live that night. The GM for the Texas Rangers, John Daniels, told me he didn't know about the incident with Taubman and the man with the binoculars. When I showed him still images of the guy in the Rangers' stands, he passed the photos around the front office. Daniels told me no one there recognized him. As for Yankees GM Brian Cashman, he repeated the explanation he'd given to Luno, that the Yankees were testing a high-speed camera with MLB approval and weren't using it to steal signs. He added that the league had investigated the incident multiple times and had confirmed the Yankees' account. Cashman also said that he hadn't realized at the time that the Astros had been spying on the Yankees. I did not realize this was a counter-surveillance program, he said. If I did, I would probably have had Taubman arrested for violating our security rules. I've seen the Astros' video evidence of all these incidents, and I want to be clear that none of it looks at all definitive to me. But the fact that multiple Astros players ask staffers to investigate their rivals does speak to the level of paranoia on the team. They were really worried about other clubs illegally stealing their signs. And why wouldn't they be? They knew of at least one team that had gotten away with it night after night, especially the season before. Your guys were probably paranoid in part because they knew what they were doing themselves, right? Yeah, I mean, now, in looking back at it, yeah, I, I think that they, you know, w the best way to catch a cheater is to have been a cheater yourself, and that, that's what they were doing. It was in the late summer of 2018 that Luno heard something that he says deeply surprised him. I received a call from someone at Major League Baseball saying that there had been allegations of the Astros having stolen signs in the prior season. 
The official was telling Luno that his players weren't the only ones trying to sniff out illegal sign stealers. They'd been suspected of doing it themselves by other teams. Specifically, the league had heard rumors about the Astros stealing signs during their 2017 championship season. Luno says that he brought the allegations to the Astros manager, A.J. Hinch. He had heard that Mike Fires, who had left our team after 2017 and went to Detroit, had told teammates in Detroit that we had stolen signs in 2017. A couple of teammates in Detroit called our players, who they knew, and asked if this was true. And what AJ told me is that our players told them it was not true and that maybe Fires was disgruntled because he was left off the playoff roster or something. So after that conversation, I was under the impression that these were false allegations. Mike Fires had told his new teammates that Houston stole signs in 2017, but he hadn't said anything about it publicly. As Luno processed this, his team was surging to the 2018 playoffs. Their first-round opponent would be the Indians, and the Astros wondered if that questionable live game feed they noticed back in May was still visible near Cleveland's dugout. In May, Luno hadn't done anything about it, but when the series moved to Cleveland for Game 3, the feed was still there. And this time, Luno complained to the league. The screen was removed from the Indians' players' view during the game. The Astros won that game to reach the next round. Ground ball to first base. Gurriel is there. He'll flip, and that will end it. The Houston Astros, the defending world champions, are ready to go back to the American League Championship Series as they sweep the Indians in the division series. The ALCS against the Red Sox was marred by a strange incident. An Astros employee was caught acting suspiciously in Fenway Park. This morning, Major League Baseball says it's looking into an incident of an Astros employee allegedly shooting video of the Red Sox dugout. Now, the MLB says the incident supposedly happened in the Astros game one win in Boston. The employee was then removed by security. The man snooping around the Red Sox dugout would later be identified as Kyle McLaughlin, not the guy from Twin Peaks. This was a team intern who was apparently close with Astros owner Jim Crane. His Instagram account included photos of himself standing next to one of Crane's corporate jets and posing with Crane himself. The Astros explained that McLaughlin had not been stealing signs, but making sure that the Red Sox were not stealing signs. It was just another counter-surveillance operation, the kind the Astros had been doing all season long. It was just that this one had become embarrassingly public, as Luno told reporters after the league cleared his team of wrongdoing. As you may or may not know, the policy is that you're not allowed to use technology to aid in sign stealing. It's a very clear policy. Uh, we understand it. We abide by it. We have abided by it. We plan to continue abiding by it. When we go into an opposing ballpark, uh, we tend to look around and make sure that there, we don't see any suspicious activity. Uh, we've been doing that as a matter of course for a while, and we feel like it's a value-added thing for us to do. That being said, MLB would prefer that we don't look into it ourselves, so if we see something suspicious, we uh, relay it to them, and we're going to abide by that going forward. When Astros manager A.J. Hinch was asked about the McLaughlin incident and sign-stealing in general, he was reflective about the state of the game and how pervasive the paranoia about sign-stealing had become. Hinch told the AP, There's some unintended consequences that come with the advancement of technology. It's a league-wide conversation that needs to happen in time. It's happening right now during a really important series, and I just think it's bigger than us. It's bigger than any team. 
but it wasn't a conversation the league was eager to have publicly. Jeff Luno says that in the course of Major League Baseball's inquiry into the McLaughlin incident, the league's investigator met with Luno and the Astros' general counsel while they were all watching one of the Astros' Red Sox games in Luno's suite. The investigator had some interesting news. He had just come from the Milwaukee Dodgers series, and he mentioned that he was there investigating claims that the Dodgers had stolen signs. And he also mentioned that the Dodgers had said that the Brewers had done something. So everybody seemed to be pointing fingers at everybody else. He said, there have been allegations that you all have stolen signs. He didn't ask for any follow-up. There didn't seem to be any great uh, concern about it. But that's the second time I heard anything about it. I emailed the Astros general counsel to ask about his memories of that meeting. He didn't get back to me. In any event, the Astros lost the series to the Red Sox, which meant their season was over. He's got it! And the Boston Red Sox are headed to the World Series! By this point, Major League Baseball had taken some steps to try to address the torrent of complaints about illegal sign-stealing. Not all of them were from or about the Astros, and some of them predated 2018. In response to these complaints, the league had started recording calls made on dugout phones and hired security to monitor replay rooms. Then, in the months leading up to the 2019 season, the league went even further. There is word now that new rules are coming to Major League Baseball to try to stop teams from stealing signs. The changeup ahead. For the first time, the league banned teams from installing their own cameras between the foul poles. It also decreed that any game feed potentially visible to players must be on an eight-second delay. And it upped the security presence in its replay rooms. Even so, Luno says, the commissioner's office was still not particularly motivated to publicize the allegations it was responding to. No sport is interested in a scandal. I mean, scandals are good for reporters. They're fun for Twitter. They're not good for the economics of the games. And I think part of the role of the commissioner's office is to minimize the damage that any scandal will have on the sport going forward. And that means on the economics going forward. Despite the tougher rules, the paranoia didn't die down. One extraordinary moment during the 2019 season involved the manager of the Red Sox, Alex Cora a guy the Astros knew well because he'd been their bench coach in 2017. Cora was now the owner of two consecutive World Series rings, one with Houston and one with Boston. How was just how you feel? Uh, obviously, your, your pitchers took, took a beating these last couple days. Uh, and you... Yeah, it, it wasn't a good weekend on the field. The Yankees had scored 29 runs against the Red Sox pitchers in just two games in June, and Cora made a cryptic comment during a press conference about why it had happened. I was joking with somebody that their biggest free agent acquisition is Carlos Beltran. Cora actually winked here, I swear. Carlos Beltran, who you'll remember from our last episode, was an old friend from Cora's Astros days. Beltran was now working behind the scenes as a special advisor to Yankees GM Brian Cashman. Remember, this was before the Astros' cheating scandal had broken and after the Red Sox had been fined for 2017's smartwatch mini-scandal. But this was still how people talked about sign-stealing in baseball in 2019, as a thing to be winked about. I know how it works, you know. He, he, he's helping a lot. You know, they're, they're paying attention to details, and we have to clean our details. And I'm not saying, you know, devices and all that stuff. It's just stuff. 
that the game will dictate and will scream at people. And he's right there. Throughout the evening, you know, I was, I was looking and I saw it, you know, and right now they're a lot better. The 2019 season saw the Astros set a team record with 107 wins. Once again, they reached the ALCS. And just like in 2017, they faced the Yankees. Sign stealing came up yet again during this series, when the Yankees accused the Astros of tipping their players off by whistling from the dugout. A.J. Hinch had previously been philosophical about the issue of sign stealing in baseball, but not this time. In reality, it's a joke, but it made me laugh because it's ridiculous. And had I known that, that it would take something like that to, to, to set off the Yankees or any other team, we would have practiced it in spring training. It, it apparently works when it doesn't happen. So, The league quickly brushed Whistlegate under the rug. No wrongdoing, no scandal here. The series went to Game 6, with the Astros up three games to two. One more win, and they would be going to the World Series again. With a two-run lead, Roberto Asuna came on in the top of the ninth to close it out. But the Yankees' DJ LeMahieu battled Asuna for more than five minutes, until Asuna threw a fastball right down the middle. Fly ball into right, back at the wall, this ball This game is tied. Asuna had blown it. The game remained tied in the bottom of the ninth. Then Jose Altuve got a slider from the Yankees' closer, who happened to be a Roldis Chapman. Altuve liked the look of the pitch, and he swung hard. Altuve's game-winning homer saved Asuna and confirmed the Astros as a burgeoning modern dynasty, putting them in the World Series for the second time in three years. Then Brandon Taubman, Luno's right-hand man, did something that would undercut all of it. Postseason clubhouse celebrations can be pretty perfunctory, especially for teams who've had a lot of them. But after Jose Altuve's game-winning home run against the Yankees, the Astros partied into the night. At that point, it's sort of, it's probably peak debauchery in a way, because it's like, if you're still there, it's because you're smoking a cigar and drinking a lot of champagne. Plenty of people had already cleared out. This is Hannah Kaiser, who was 29 years old in 2019 and in her first season as a national baseball writer for Yahoo Sports. It was around 12.20 a.m. and Kaiser was still in the Astros clubhouse, covering the tail end of the celebration. She was standing with two other reporters, Stephanie Epstein, my longtime colleague at Sports Illustrated, and another who has always wished to remain anonymous. So the three of us, the three female reporters, we were like all standing together, but like looking at our notes and looking around the clubhouse, but like grouped together and then all kind of noticed someone yelling at the same time. It was Brandon Taubman, Jeff Luno's assistant GM. Taubman had expressed reservations to his boss about trading for Roberto Asuna. But now, in the clubhouse, he was sending a different message. He was yelling, thank God we got Asuna. I'm so effing glad we got Asuna. 
and he was yelling it at the group of three female reporters. Kaiser remembers being confused. She didn't know who Taubman was or why he was yelling that about a player who'd almost blown a key game. Within the first few seconds before we even were like, let's go stand outside the door, the third reporter who does not want her name out there said immediately and specifically to Stephanie and I, I think he's yelling about me. I think it has to do with this. And she had a domestic violence support bracelet. Taubman didn't know the reporter personally. He may not have even noticed her purple bracelet, which he'd ordered the night the Astros had acquired Asuna. But he'd seen her social media messages. Whenever Asuna had entered a game for the Astros in 2018, after completing his 75-game suspension, the reporter had tweeted phone numbers for a domestic violence hotline. And when Asuna allowed that game-tying home run, she tweeted a single word, suboptimal. Taubman found the tweet infuriatingly sarcastic. Now he was enraged and drunk. Two days later, Stephanie Epstein published a story on SI.com about the incident. It was headlined, Astro Staffer's outburst at female reporters illustrates MLB's forgive-and-forget attitude toward domestic violence. The Sports Illustrated reporter described Taubman's comments as offensive and frightening enough that another Houston staffer apologized. The Astros declined to comment for Epstein's piece. But they did soon after, in a press release. What is it they said? <sighs> the story posted by Sports Illustrated is misleading and completely irresponsible. An Astros player was being asked questions about a difficult outing. Our executive was supporting the player during a difficult time. His comments had everything to do with the game that just occurred and nothing else. They were also not directed towards any specific reporters. We're extremely disappointed in Sports Illustrated attempt to fabricate a story where one does not exist. The Astros claimed that Epstein had made the story up that Taubman had been supporting a player after a tough game, not confronting anyone about him. But several other journalists had witnessed the event and confirmed Epstein's story, including that no one was interviewing Asuna at the time and that Taubman was definitely yelling at someone. Suddenly, 15 months after the Asuna trade, this story was threatening to overshadow the World Series, which was to begin the next day. How is it possible that Brandon Taubman and the Houston Astros are so bad at this. I ask this in all sincerity because Taubman and the Astros could not have handled this growing dumpster fire any worse. MLB called the owner of the Astros, I guarantee you this is how it happened, and said, hey, listen, Jim Crane, you got to do something about this. This is the World Series. This is where we make our money as an industry. We have all the VIPs in Houston, and all anyone's talking about is your goddamn assistant general manager. The Astros could have simply apologized after the SI story came out. They could have affirmed their commitment to protecting everyone in their workplace and opened an investigation of the incident. They probably could have diffused it. Instead, they went on the attack. Why? Well, Taubman felt that Epstein's story had mischaracterized his actions, that she had implied he had picked a group of female reporters at random to yell at. But he had actually targeted one in particular for continually criticizing the Asuna trade. Even so, the truth of what had actually happened in the clubhouse wouldn't have been hard for the Astros to find. And it matched almost no part of the team's statement. Jeff Luno distances himself from the statement now. He told me that while he did see a final draft of it, 
and did go out and publicly defend it. It was written and distributed by the club's head of marketing and general counsel, who reported to Astro's owner, Jim Crane. I understand how horrific our response was, the Astros' response. And I could have and should have done more to prevent us from sending out that response. Now, I did raise a concern about it before it went out. My concern was uh, ignored. And the response was horrendous. It was horrific. It was aggressive towards the reporter. It was aggressive towards the magazine. And I believe that the Astros acted before they knew the facts of what had actually happened in that incident. And we did just about everything wrong. Um, I, there's no defense for it. The Astros quickly backtracked. They issued significantly softened statements. On October 24th, the off day after the heavily favored Astros had lost the first two games of the series at home to the Nationals, Luno announced that the club had fired Brandon Taubman. The person that, that was responsible for making those inappropriate comments has been terminated with from employment with the Astros, and that's the action that we've taken at this point. I don't have any comment. I I can't, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. Eventually, Astros owner Jim Crane sent a written apology to Stephanie Epstein, retracting his team's first statement, the one in which the Astros had accused her of fabricating the Taubman story. Astros officials called the article, quote, misleading and irresponsible. But now in a letter shared by Epstein, Crane tells her, quote, we were Wrong, and I am sorry that we initially questioned your professionalism. But the Astros had already shown the world something important about themselves and about their priorities. And they'd done it on baseball's biggest stage, the World Series. Again, here's reporter Hannah Kaiser. The reflexiveness to defend Brandon Taubman indicates that they don't want to know if something is wrong. What it revealed to me was that all the way up to Jeff Luno and probably Jim Crane as well, they were not interested in finding out if something wrong was going on. (laughs) They were not interested in facts that dissented with their plan. That plan to win another championship fell apart. The Astros actually won all three games in Washington. All they needed was a single win back at home. But this time, it was another former underdog's turn. Here it is! The Washington Nationals are world champions for the first time in franchise history. What ought to have been a glorious week turned into a disaster. The Astros had not only crushingly lost the World Series, they'd turned the world, and their own league, against them. Major League Baseball's top investigators had spent much of the World Series questioning witnesses about the Taubman incident, including Hannah Kaiser. It wasn't clear yet if the league was going to side with the Astros and sort of attempt to discredit what we had said. Um, But they didn't do that, so I, I give them credit for that. And although the Astros didn't know it yet, things would soon get worse. They were two weeks away from the public revelation of the trash-can-banging, sign-stealing scheme that Carlos Beltran and Alex Cora had led two years earlier. The cheating scandal took the Astros out of the realm of heels and turned them into full-fledged villains. And I've often wondered if the outcry would have been so furious, the damage so severe, if not for the Taubman incident in the clubhouse. If the Astros hadn't so dramatically and so publicly expended the last of the goodwill they'd earned, 
maybe the sign-stealing scheme wouldn't have struck so many as a satisfying fall from grace. Ironically, Jeff Luno had almost won his gamble on Roberto Asuna. Two months after the Astros traded for him, Canadian authorities dropped charges against him when his domestic partner declined to cooperate. And most people, aside from a subtly protesting reporter, had moved on from the circumstances that brought Asuna to Houston, just as Luno had hoped. Recent headlines about him included, What a relief! With controversy mostly behind him, ex-Blue Jay Asuna a key part of Astro's bullpen. And Asuna gets groove back with help from the Astros. And Asuna fitting nicely into the Astros' way. But the Brandon Taubman incident and the way the Astros handled it brought it all back and made it much worse. They'd crossed a line. There was no turning back. Did, did the blowback and the outcry cause you to wonder at the time or since that, you know, trading for Asuna in order to win another World Series meant you put too much value on winning? Uh, I certainly have had um, time to reflect and second thoughts. And, you know, there are days I have thought, boy, that trade cost me a lot personally. <laughs> and there are times I think that we did give Roberto a second chance and he has done well, it's with us both on the field and off the field. And I'm not going to ever say he's redeemed himself because, you know, there's, I don't know if that's um, even possible when, in those types of situations, but he has behaved the way we expected him to behave. He's produced the way we expected him to produce. And that has helped the Astros win games. Um, was it worth it? I will say it came at, at a great cost to me and probably my career in some respects. Um, but it was a decision at the time that I made, and, and once you make those decisions, you, you can't really go back on them. Brandon Taubman couldn't go back on what he'd done either, although he tried to make amends for it. Months after the clubhouse incident, in a Houston yoga studio, he ran into the reporter he'd yelled at. A couple days later, they talked over coffee for three hours. He told her that he understood that he deserved to get fired for what he did even if he felt the way it had been publicly reported was wrong. He said that she had good reason to be critical of the Asuna trade, and that his outburst towards her came not from a desire to taunt her about domestic abuse, but from an almost pathological instinct to defend what he'd helped the Astros build, no matter what. He said that in his unemployment, he was volunteering 20 hours a month helping a domestic violence organization improve their analytical capabilities. And he'd started seeing a therapist to understand what inside him had allowed competition to make him such a bully. The reporter forgave him. She told him she didn't think he deserved the national villainizing he'd experienced, and that she actually didn't think he should have been fired. They even became friends. But it was far too late for the Astros. I remember an elevator ride I took with Stephanie Epstein up to the press box at Nationals Park. It was right before Game 3 of the World Series. The Taubman incident was still raging. We happened to be standing next to a high-ranking official from the commissioner's office. Don't worry, he said to Epstein. We're not done with them yet. World Series Astros, World Champions. 
Next week on The Edge. When I composed the first tweet, I actually got up and walked around for about 10 minutes. I thought, don't want to do this. The Edge is presented by Prologue Projects in partnership with Cadence 13. The show is produced by Sam Lee and me, Ben Ryder, with editorial support from Madeline Kaplan and Ula Kulpa. Our executive producers are Leon Nafok, Andrew Parsons, Chris Corcoran, and Stephen Fisher. Our score is provided by Blue Dot Sessions. Our theme song is by Andy Christens. Our credit music this week is World Series Astros by Mac Hayes. Our artwork is designed by Teddy Blanks. Fact-checking by Francis Carr. Special thanks to Julie Conquest. The National Domestic Violence Hotline can help victims and survivors of domestic violence. Call 1-800-799-7233. Thanks for listening. See you next week. I'm Bobby Finger. And I'm Lindsay Weber. Do you ever see a new face or name on your news feeds and say, who the heck is that? Our podcast, Who Weekly, is everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't. Think of us as your cheat code to People Magazine, your glossary for Hollywood, a shortcut to understanding pop culture at large. For the past eight years, Who Weekly has been telling listeners everything they need to know about the celebrities they don't. The New Yorker says we spelunk deep into the demimonde with convivial delight. That's a direct quote. Mostly, we're going to explain to you Irish star Barry Keoghan's sudden rise to fame and relationship with a not-so-under-the-radar pop princess named Sabrina. The fake wedding Real Housewives star Cynthia Bailey had to promote a limo rental company. And why all the Gen Zers you know are talking about a guy named Benson Boone. Each episode goes deep into the biggest celebrity stories of the moment. And if you're still confused, we even have a weekly call-in episode where we answer the most burning celebrity queries. Who Weekly airs twice weekly with brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen and follow Who Weekly, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts.